They say markets work a certain way. They say if you want high returns, you have to accept higher risks. Cox Automotive says, you take the upside, we'll take the risk. Introducing Upside by Cox Automotive, the all-new way to wholesale that turns that old wisdom upside down. Visit TakeTheUpside.com to learn more. Welcome to Daily Drive. For Wednesday, November 2nd, 2022, I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Jake Neer, in for Kellen Walker. On today's show, a shakeup in Ford's leadership ranks, Ford and Honda sales slide again, and Mitsubishi weighs a possible stake in Renault's EV spinoff. Plus, a conversation with Ellen Carey of Circular, which is helping automakers and suppliers address environmental and human rights issues with technology and data. Tech can fix a number of the EV and battery supply chain issues that OEMs and various participants are facing. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Three top executives at Ford, including the president of Lincoln, will retire in the coming months. The retirements come as CEO Jim Farley continues to shuffle his leadership team. Joy Filatico has run Lincoln since 2018, and Stuart Rowley is Ford's chief transformation and quality officer. Both of them will retire December 1st. Ford's vice president of India and South America Transformation, Stephen Armstrong, will retire on January 1st. Ford said Jim Bombick, the current vice president of product development operations, cycle planning, and internal combustion engine programs, will oversee quality. Diane Craig, president of Ford's International Markets Group, will succeed Filatico as Lincoln's president. The moves come as Ford has struggled to combat quality issues on high-profile vehicles. It has also issued more recalls than any other automaker so far this year. Amid those shakeups in the C-suite, Ford reported a 10% drop in volume in October, with some of its biggest sellers falling by double digits. It's the company's second straight monthly decline. The automaker has been limited by part shortages that continue to undermine output. Volume fell almost 10% for the Ford brand and 14% at Lincoln. F-Series deliveries slid 17%, Explorer sales dropped 23%, and Escape volume fell 26% last month. The good news? Demand for newer models, such as the Bronco, Mustang Mach-E, and Maverick, remains robust. The Maverick has become Ford's second best-selling truck, well ahead of Ranger. Ford's gross inventories continue to rebound, reaching 346,000 at the end of October. That's up from 315,000 at the end of September. Meanwhile, volume skidded at Honda for the 15th straight month. Sales dropped 16% in October to fewer than 82,000 vehicles. The Honda brand's most popular models all posted double-digit declines in October. Accord was off 24%, Civic was down 15%, CRV fell 19%, and the HRV dropped 36%. Seating and electronics supplier Lear reported improved financial performance in the third quarter, fueled by better market conditions. Lear said net income quadrupled from a year ago to $92 million in the third quarter, while sales rose 23% to $5.2 billion, due primarily to improved production volumes. But shares fell on Tuesday after the automaker maintained its guidance for the year, losing 3.7% to close the day around $133 per share. 
Mitsubishi is weighing a possible investment in an electric vehicle spinoff that French partner Renault wants to float as a new future-looking subsidiary. Mitsubishi CEO Takao Kato said the Japanese carmaker has received an overview of Renault's plan and is considering whether it wants to participate. But he cautioned that deliberations have only just begun. Renault's other Japanese partner, Nissan, has already said it's considering investing in the EV spinoff. The entity is largely focused on the European market, which plans to go zero emissions in 2035. Mitsubishi's presence in Europe is small. It plans to sell just 66,000 vehicles there this year. And Subaru says U.S. inflation is so bad that the automaker has trouble competing on wages with the local McDonald's outside its Indiana assembly plant. CEO Tomomi Nakamura says those soaring American labor costs are one reason his company is not thinking of new investments to build electric vehicles in the U.S. anytime soon. Speaking at Subaru's quarterly earnings announcement on Wednesday, Nakamura said the company will stick with its plans to assemble electric vehicles at a new, dedicated plant to be built in Japan. He said complying with new U.S. guidelines to win federal tax credits of up to $7,500 per EV under the Inflation Reduction Act is just too difficult right now. Subaru's operating profits surged to about $509 million in the latest quarter, up from $172 million a year earlier. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, this is kind of cool, actually. You're joining us from Lisbon this week. What are you up to in Portugal? I'm here for the uh, Web Summit. It's a, a big tech conference. Uh, I sort of liken it to the the CES of Europe, but it's mm. it's a different vibe. It's you know CES has a lot of displays. It's uh, you know booths with technology on display. This is more stage presentations, speeches, things like that. The main base for it is the Altes Arena, which is a you know it's an arena. It's a giant venue with a big stage. They filled the house for the opening ceremony last night. There's more than 70,000 people registered here. So aside from that big arena stage, there are five other stages around and just tons of meetings going on. People, entrepreneurs, investors, lots of cool people that I'm meeting and talking with, including for our show. Kind of jealous. It sounds like quite an experience there in Lisbon, and I'm looking forward to hearing more of your conversations there, uh, which everyone will be able to hear on Daily Drive next week. Coming up, we'll hear from Ellen Carey of the company Circular about how new technology can precisely track emissions, prevent exploitative mining practices, and help automakers prove they meet requirements in the Inflation Reduction Act. That's next on Daily Drive. Some dealers say it's not worth taking a trade they won't retail. They say if it doesn't fit their brand, they'd rather pass. Cox Automotive says now you can easily see the profit in any trade and never risk losing that new customer. Introducing Upside by Cox Automotive, the only way to wholesale that turns that old wisdom upside down. Every vehicle you place in the Upside digital auction is backed by our guaranteed minimum price, so you never risk a loss. And when a vehicle sells for more than our guarantee, you keep the lion's share of the Upside. It's a -a one-of-a-kind auction that gives you an alternative to accepting wholesale losses. And it's built on the principles of the country's top performing wholesale sellers, so your vehicles have the best possible chance to get bids and get bought. Dealers taking advantage of Upside's game-changing policies are already saying yes to more trades and making more money, all while never risking a loss. Sound too good to be true? Visit TakeTheUpside.com now to learn more. 
Slate Money is a weekly roundup of the most important stories from the world of business and finance, hosted by Felix Salmon, Elizabeth Spires, and me, Emily Peck. Confused by crypto? Can't keep up with the metaverse? Wondering why the price of just about everything keeps rising? The Slate Money podcast is here for you. Listen to Slate Money every Saturday morning, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters. The Inflation Reduction Act is adding new incentives for companies to get to know their supply chains better. To qualify for tax credits under the new law, automakers must prove where materials for batteries are coming from. Growing efforts to get a handle on supply chains isn't a new phenomenon. Automakers have long sought to reduce risk as well as expense. Circular is a company that puts new tech behind those efforts. Vice President for Global Policy and Public Affairs, Ellen Carey, recently spoke with our own Pete Bigelow on Shift, a podcast about mobility. Here's a piece of their conversation. There was a story in the Washington Post with this headline, EV supply chains have a human rights problem, can tech fix it? How would you answer that question this morning? I would say that yes, today, with today's technology, tech can fix a number of the EV and battery supply chain issues that OEMs and various participants are facing. Um, It wasn't possible five years ago, six years ago. It is possible today. And I'll tell you the technologies that are enabling it and making it possible, which is cloud compute technologies, edge compute uh, technologies, so industrial IoT and the digitalization of manufacturing, and also software technologies like machine learning and blockchain to ensure that information is shared with respective parties securely, safely, and creates an immutable record of trust on that information. So tell me what Circular does and do you essentially wrap all these technologies together into a product that... uh, (laughs) enhances transparency. Yeah, so Circular started in 2017. Our first projects were to track cobalt for Volvo cars and to ensure responsible sourcing of that cobalt. So Circular tracks the physical flow of minerals and materials from mine to vehicle and as they change state. So as a mineral or material goes through that process, we can track where it came from, what its journey was, um, and that it was perhaps responsibly or sustainably produced along that process. The biggest benefit that Circular gives is visibility into the supply chain. So looking beyond automotive, it's just a, it's a fact across industry that only 2% of companies know beyond their tier two supplier. So what we do is we, the first value add is we identify the supply chain, we link them in terms of data sharing along that process, and then that visibility is to the downstream customer. And then we track the physical material as it changes state from mine again to final product so that that final product has an identity of where it's come from. Alan, set the stage for this uh, a little bit. What's the scope of the problem now, be it uh, lack of transparency, uh, child labor, greenhouse gas emissions? Like, I don't know if this is too big of a question to start with, but how do we define the scope of uh, all these potential problems or, or real problems? Yeah, uh, 
vulnerability to growing geopolitical uncertainty, the war in Ukraine, a number of things. So yeah, there's 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 demands in terms of uh, from customers, investors, regulators on companies and to know what's in their products. So increasingly we're seeing not just within auto, but across a number of industries that the OEM or the final producer is responsible for its entire supply chain, right? So everything that happens beyond its own facility, those products are gaining greater scrutiny from their investors, from their customers, et cetera. And then just supply chain uncertainty and risks abound that we have never seen before. So, you know, I know that a number of automakers are strategizing, rebuilding, localizing, regionalizing. I would say that's excellent. On top of that work can come data that shows exactly where the supply chain is, where the production flows are going, so that every decision to change or re-architect a supply chain can be done with data-driven proof. How real-time can you get with that? Uh, we have a we have a platform and it's pretty real time. So when information is scanned in or scanned out, that information becomes available onto the platform and uh, to our to our customers. Okay. When I think about electric vehicles, uh, in particular, and all the changes the auto industry is going through that that you just outlined, it seems like there's there's so much demand for these raw materials, be it cobalt, nickel, mm-hmm. lithium, et cetera. Does the groundswell that we're seeing in demand mean that the problems have the potential to get worse before they get better? Potentially. Um, I might note, though, that our customers are not only downstream uh, participants or OEMs, but they're also upstream that are doing uh, mining and extracting safely, responsibly, and with the utmost attention to the communities around them and that they serve. And so they're using our technology to track you know, water usage or carbon emissions and and prove everything that they're saying in terms of sustainability, prove that in terms of data. So I think we're going to need that in terms at the upstream. If we're going to need 50 more lithium mines, if we're going to need 40 more cobalt mines, those new resources need to come online with continuous visibility, visibility to the investors in those projects, but also the local communities that everything is being taken care of and that the environment and the planet of which that's operating, as well as the people in the society are being taken care of with the utmost care. And so that's that's also where we are seeing a lot of demand for our product and our technology solution is when those upstream miners are, when that's part of their mission and ethos, they're saying, let's prove it. You know, let's prove we're doing low carbon production and we're taking care of the community around us. I guess I don't mean this to sound callous in a way, but what's changed to to make people either more altruistic today in that respect where they they care about proving those things Mm -hmm. uh, or what's the urgency that's compelling them to act on these problems now in a way that they have not in the past? Yeah, a bit is requirements from investors in requirements from regulators. It's also because they can command a price premium on the market for proving sustainable and responsible production. So if you're in the case of an OEM, we've seen it that, you know, first it's peace of mind 
of where my materials coming from? Do I have risky supply chain participants that maybe I need to get out of my supply chain? And what are my alternatives on the marketplace? And then can, because I know where it's come from, that journey, I know that there's no ethical violations. I know that it's done sustainably. That gives me a new value proposition to market to my customers, especially the Gen Zs, et cetera, who are looking to put their purchase power behind products and companies that are proving their ESG goals. So Circular started in 2017 and then COVID came along and really revealed how complex and vulnerable supply chains are. I'm curious about how all that upheaval uh, affected how companies were thinking about their supply chains and and what lessons were quickly learned at, at Circular about mm-hmm. about how supply chains were quickly evolving, I guess. And evolving seems like the wrong word is more, uh, you know, mm-hmm. rapidly changing. Yeah, I, I think today's global landscape, you would you probably would not be surprised. We get a fair amount of demand. Folks that simply want to see their supply chains, especially the ones that are keeping them up at night, and if they're going to get orders fulfilled, et cetera, et cetera. So again, the number one thing that we do is give that visibility of a supply chain that maybe it's just one that's keeping that customer up at night, and we link it, create reliability, and give that visibility to the customer. So so that's really key. We have a special focus on batteries uh, for a couple of reasons. We got started in cobalt. That has expanded into lithium, nickel, mica, copper, graphite, manganese. So we trace all of the battery minerals and materials. And also is because of a EU battery regulations that's forthcoming that you'll have to prove those materials per battery. But we we do more than batteries as well. We're in solar panels. Um, We've done leather. We've done things for aerospace as well. Um, So there's a number of vulnerabilities within our global economy um, that need that that transparency to be had. Ellen Carey is Vice President for Global Policy and Public Affairs for Circular. She spoke with our own Pete Bigelow on Shift, a podcast about mobility. You can hear the full conversation on Shift wherever you get your podcasts. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Jake Neer, and for Kellen Walker. You can get the latest news on supply chain technology, monthly earnings results, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for my conversation at the Automotive News Retail Forum in Chicago with National Automobile Dealers Association CEO Mike Stanton about the NADA's new guiding principles to address the fast-changing auto retail landscape and evolving business models. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. 